Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhudassa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Namo Sadanto Suchedoye Hola Hudi San Miao San Putoshi. The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it, Within my sight and hearing, I bow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dhamma friends, welcome to our sutra lecture tonight. It's the 30th of October, and we're looking into the uh, Avatamsaka Sutra, the Flower Garland Sutra, the Ten Grounds chapter. And I'm going to ask you all to uh, turn to the front cover. We've got the name of the sutra and also the uh, Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas who uh, bring the sutra to life. And we're going to chant their names as we begin. This is by way of invocation, so it's a time to be sincere and and, uh, amazing things can happen when we put our palms together, if if you're comfortable doing that, and request, as they say, rufa, according to the Dharma. Namo
Please turn in your text to page 42 and 43. We're going to start with the Chinese, and we're uh, down at the very bottom line, the last line. Jason, if you bring that teacup in, then you can have a seat. (laughs) Thank you, Amitofo. That's an important cup of tea. Gets me through the lecture, indeed. So here we are in Berkeley, California, and it's... uh, we're on uh, Halloween Eve. It's the uh, day before the day of all spirits, all spirit, all hallows. Actually, it's very interesting to uh, look into um, the overlap between traditional views of one night of the year when ghosts and spirits come up. Why is it this time? First of all, harvest is over, pretty much. Pretty much all the crops are, are uh, in the barn, in the root cellar. Anybody grow up with a root cellar? We had a root cellar in Toledo. It was very useful for avoiding tornadoes. When the tornadoes blew over, we went right down to the root cellar. But uh, what did we call it? wasn't called a root cellar. It, was, it opened through the basement. Um, my grandparents had, uh, when, my, when my mother was growing up, her root cellar opened from the outside. So you went outside, and then you opened up these two doors. And you went down, it was actually, houses didn't have a basement, but they did have a one room that was dug out. And it was, the idea was, there were roots down there, because that's where the, you could find tree roots. It wasn't a... a Nice room with a cement floor and, you know, air conditioning at all. It was just a hole in the ground. But it was also where you store the crops. So this is that time. Everything is salted away. And the other thing that my parents would do at this time was when I was growing up, uh, there were uh, farms outside of town, Toledo, where you could go and pick all you wanted because the farmers had brought in pretty much all the Tomatoes, all the squash, all the beans, all the carrots, all the uh, fruit, the apples mostly, that they, that they could. And what was left on the vine, on the tree, on the ground was yours for the picking if you would do the work. So it was pick your own kind of idea, but uh, it was just you did them a favor because you were cleaning up the, the garden, the, the fields. So we would go out and come back with big bushel baskets of 
very ripe, very delicious, or there was nothing but organic. There was no such thing as non-organic. You know, there was no chemical fertilizer back then of, of fruits and vegetables. And they would take them back, and there were like two entire days right at this time of the year when the entire kitchen in my, you know, downtown, not downtown, but uh, urban house in Toledo, the entire kitchen was filled with the smells of boiling water and stewing tomatoes. The tomatoes were the smelliest of all. And my parents would take mason jars, M-A-S-O-N. This is a piece of Americana that all you young whippersnappers just... I'm afraid didn't under, won't ever understand. Sorry, it's just the privileged knowledge of we old farts, you know. So. But uh, this is what they did. They had these big, big, um, what did they call them? Uh, they were pots that were blue with those white chunks. What were those called? There was a special name for those kind of pots. Enamel pots. Enamel pots. That's right. And. The, you'd put, uh, put them on the stove and boil, and then in would go the tomatoes. And, and you only dip, they were called blanched. You blanch the fruit. You put them in the water long enough to like loosen the skins and seal them, but you, it, they weren't entirely cooked. Uh, then the next thing they would do is take the mason jars and sterilize them. And they had to go in the boiling water. And then you would take the tomatoes, and if they were, tomatoes would go... Why do we get on this topic? Aren't we supposed to listen to a sutra lecture? Okay, it's because it's Halloween. All right. So, they, sometimes they were stewed. Stewed tomatoes were different from tomato sauce. Tomato sauce was different from tomato chunks. And then there was tomato juice. So the tomatoes would turn into, like, four different products. And they would sanitize the mason jars... And the big deal was making sure there was no bacteria in these. Because if you, when you're canning, your, they're called putting up. That was the verb. You put up tomatoes for the, for the winter. If you have any kind of bacteria in the jars, when you open it up, guess what you have? Toxins, botulism, that'll definitely kill you. A lot of people died from badly home canned fruit and, and vegetables. So sterilize them, and you pour in the tomato puree or whatever it is that you've done with the tomatoes. And then you quickly take a rubber ring, slap it on the top of the mason jar, and then screw down, and a metal top on top of that, and you screw down the lid. And the lid is just a circle, right? You've seen mason jars. They have that ring and then the metal circle and the rubber seal. And you screw down. Then you put them into the... Uh, uh, into the, the, uh, the boiling water again. And that's where they actually cook in the jar, slow heat. And then you, there's a way to cool them. And you take them out and you set them there. And you have this, and you one by one, put these large mason jars full of home-processed vegetables and fruit into the root cellar. Back to the root cellar. Remember the root cellar? But then we have all these shelf after shelf of... Tomato, tomato pickles. There's also tomato pickles. Then there was uh, tomato, like salsa, homemade salsa. And I remember just watching my parents go through all this work. And we were just, basically, our job was to not burn ourselves on the stove. Get away from there. 
You're going to burn yourself, you know. Okay, so our job was just stay out of the way mostly. But we watched, watched them do it. Because it was real work and you could screw up, you know. And, and uh, if you did it wrong, they could explode. The jars could explode. And uh, you could also get poison in there. So they would put up all these vegetables that they just picked for free. We did the picking out in the fields, the farmer's fields. And boy, come January, February, and March, pretty much you're down to the last jar of tomatoes. And when you crank open a home canned jar of tomatoes, the entire end of the summer, the whole state of the end of the summer comes back in that smell of the pickle of the of the tomatoes coming back. Very wonderful. So I don't know. Did anybody else's mom put up vegetables like for the winter? No. I guess you have to live in a northern climate because vegetables are only available for like three months out of the ground. The rest of the time you go to the A and P food store and buy frozen vegetables. Not the same. Not the same. And they were free for the picking. So. So that's my memory of this time of the year is, is going out and like harvesting all these different incredible vegetables. And that, that kind of home canning skill was passed on from moms to moms, you know, from grandmoms to moms, moms to daughters, and on down. But there were two or three days when the whole kitchen was full of these big enamel pots and, uh, and the mason jars and all the, you know timing and these clouds of steam coming up as everything was sanitized and the smell of the vegetables getting pureed and whipped and chopped. And very wonderful. And uh, people would do watermelon pickles. Ooh, homemade watermelon pickles. Uh, absolutely unforgettable flavor. And squash and cucumbers. They would do so much with cucumbers. Pickle cucumbers. You make your own pickles. Right? So, pickle jars. Very wonderful. And uh, now it's like we, first of all, you have to have fresh produce. I guess you could do it through a farmer's market, but we would go, we would bring back bushel baskets, bushel baskets of cucumbers just lying out there. If we didn't pick them, they would get plowed under for next year. You know? So anyway, so I have lots of memories of, of the time when the nights are short and, and the, day, the nights are long and the days are short and can feel the chill rising sooner and sooner you know that's when you it's called a harvest this is the harvest time so. anyway we are there say what Halloween mm. thank you I left it out that's right so why did the ghosts come out at that time Kai's paying attention you notice that that's good I like that so that was the harvest time. Now, so why is this night the night when the ghost? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow. The night when somehow is it the gates of hell open up? No, that's the full moon of the fifth of the seventh lunar month. This is not that time. This is another time. The most of Asia agrees that Chieshu, the full moon of the seventh lunar month, is the time when the hells open and all the spirits come out. And you know, we go, ha, 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 yeah, we're scientifically educated people. Nah. Why does everybody say that's true? Without re- reading a book, people know that that is a special day, the full moon of the seventh lunar month. All these ghosts and spirits show up, and they go home when the sun rises on the next day, but for, for that day, basically, you 
you mind your, mind your P's and Q's, right? Well, this is a different day. This is another day. This is like Europe's day. All Hallows' Eve. And pretty much it's, this is the date. There are some traditions that say it's today, not tomorrow. Other traditions say it's the calendar shifted. It's later in November. But in general, there is a time when, you know, it's trick or treat. So are you going to push your bets and not have any candy ready? Suppose you don't have the treat and they decide they're going to trick. What then? Right? You all know about trick-or-treat. Not. Okay? Because you didn't grow up in a European culture. Okay? So in Europe, this was the idea. There, uh, if you dress up as... First of all, the custom did not come from candy. It's not about candy. It's not about going to the, you know, the, the Rexall and buying a lot of Snickers bars. It's not that. It's that uh, there is a time when... Ghosts are out. Witches, spirits, hobgoblins are out, and they come and knock on your door. You better be ready to welcome them with something, with a, with a bribe. <laughs> you better be ready to bribe the, the spirit, the ghost bureaucracy, or you're going to get tricked. So trick or treat, right? So you better have a bowl of apples, better get candy apples, Something that you, you know that they like so they won't trick. Very interesting. And when we were kids, we took it seriously. There were certain houses that didn't treat and we tricked. We really put like Elmer's glue on the doorknobs, you know, and, and just do stuff that, you know, like put... Uh, nobody ever went as far as putting sugar in gas tanks. That was really destructive. We just mostly did, you know, inconvenient, not so happy stuff. Take a bag of dog turds uh, and light it on fire and set it on the doorbell and ring the doorbell. Set it on the front porch, ring the doorbell. The person comes out, stomps out, stomps, puts the fire out. And, ah! so, mean, really mean. Bad karma from a Buddhist mm, How does that return later? Ah, the hell of flaming excrement, right? So... Anyway, so this is one of those times. And somebody could definitely do research and find out uh, the correlation between this date and the arising of spirits. What's different between Chia Shu, the ghost day in Asia, Wulambana Day, and the 31st of, of October? There's, there's a difference. Definitely it's the same phenomena happens. So. Yeah, so... Um, there is big snow on the East Coast. They have a snowy Halloween. You never met snow on Halloween in the past. Climate change much, right? Snow on Halloween, trick-or-treat through the snow, never, no. Trick-or-treat through the leaves, yeah, red leaves on the ground, not snow. Strange, strange changes, so, yeah. Anyway, I have no wisdom to offer about the date, but I'm just paying attention to notice that here we have Asian culture and Western culture both have the same phenomena but a different date. So, hmm. now, year after year, we always prepare candy. Year after year, nobody rings the doorbell here. We even put out a pumpkin. Nobody comes. They look at this building and they think, 
Nobody lives there. Don't bother. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of ghosts. Who wants to ring the doorbell? And a ghost answers. What if the ghost answers the door when you ring? Trick or treat. Oh. You know? That's okay. It's okay. I don't want whatever you got. Come and take my treat. No, no, that's not what we do. So. All right, so let's get on with the sutra lecture. What do you say? It is that we're down on the bottom line, page 42. This is the real trick-or-treat. Everybody got it? Let's read the Chinese. Yo guan si fa wu jiu. Wu yi. Wu yo. I'm sorry, my mistake. Yu yo. Yu bei ku nao tong ju. Good, okay. Ai zeng so xi. Chou qi zhuan duo. Wu yo ting ji. Tan hui chi huo. Chiran bu xi. Zhong huan suo chan. Ri ye zeng zhang. Ru huan bu shi. All right. Now, turn back, please. Here we go. I'll give you the English. He also, culti- he also contemplates how those conditioned things cannot be saved, cannot be relied upon, how they bring worries and lead to troubles, how they are tied up with love and hate, and how they increase anxiety and sorrow. He contemplates how they create misery that never stops so that the fires of greed, rage, and delusion burn without cease. He sees how dharmas bring with them a host of calamities which increase and grow by day and night. Yet all of which are in reality nothing but illusions. Okay. So where are we? Last week we had this encounter with impermanence. We had this encounter with the nature of things. The nature of things, what? Things, without exception, are made up of other things. All things are components. Everything in this room, from the ears that you're listening to this lecture with, to the bones that you're sitting on the floor with, or in chairs, to the, the floor that we're sitting on, are all made up of other things. In fact, with, with only two exceptions, there's nothing that you encounter in a lifetime that is not made up of other things. And because of that, Things move, things shift. That's the basic reality that the Buddha is trying to convey here. Things shift. And because they do, they are, quote, unsatisfying. Dukkha. Their nature is that you never find that last update 
upgrade that satisfies. That's the Buddha's message last week and tonight too. There's never, the final upgrade never arrives. It's only always upgrading. So, in fact, Adobe is in charge of the entire universe with its endless stream of updates, upgrades. Um, so, the, that's the, the message. Everything comes and goes. Everything comes and goes. So what? So what? Well, on one hand, you get in, get in flow if you move with everything coming and going. You're balancing. You're in the middle. You're, that's wisdom. It's like, yeah, I recognize that it's all coming and going. That's the nature of it. Why worry? The worry doesn't help. It's coming and going. Well, very easy to say, very hard to do when the things that are coming and going are your children. When the things that are coming and going are your savings in the bank. The things that are coming and going is that brand new lovely gown that you've been waiting for for so long to go to the soiree, to go to the wedding, to go to the reception, to go on a holiday with. Well, that dress unfortunately turns out to be the wrong size. So things come and go. Send it back. Oh, or you turns out that it has a big stain on it as soon as you get in the car. Oh, things come and go. Not so easy when you're attached. Brand new BMW SUV. Big scratch on the side the first day. In the parking lot, somebody doesn't pay attention. Right? Things come and go, who cares? Instantly, your brand new SUV is like $1,000 less valuable. Because you, you did it. You know. So we attach to things. And when they come and go, it hurts. That's the problem. So the Buddha is saying, okay... Welcome to the world of conditioned things. Welcome to the world that's made of other stuff. That's the nature of things. So wisdom, a lot of wisdom, is being able to actually see that. Being able to actually experience the nature of things as being compound. So they're called conditioned, made of conditions. And it's not so sad. It's not always grim. If you can see it and understand it and balance, then... You're, what they say, unattached to things. Easy to say, really hard to do. All right. He also contemplates how those conditioned things, what? Wujiu, wuyi, cannot be saved. That is to say, there's nobody who's ever going to fix the situation. Things come and go. Things, by nature, are transient. They move on. Things really do move on. Wujiu, wuyi, cannot be Dependent upon. In other words, you'll never find a single place, they say, safe in the Dharma realm. They talk about security, homeland security. Wowee. If only. Wouldn't that be nice? But what is safe? Hence the Buddha's description of this universe as a burning house. Right? Where are you safe in a burning house? Get out of the house. Would be the wise course, right? But mostly we don't see it that way, and so we grab for our little corner of security, our little corner of what we like, keep the rest away, the stuff we don't like. And that's the source of endless dissatisfaction. So, can't be relied upon. Where is a safe place? 
All conditioned things, said the Buddha, lives together with Bei, with Yo, and Bei, Yo is worry, Bei is grief. All things bring worries and lead to troubles. Okay, that's how plain is that. Everything is a source of a blues song, says the Buddha. There's nothing that's not. Right? So when you listen to this, it's easy to think, ah, misanthrope. The Buddha is such a bummer. What a downer. This guy seriously depressed? You know, get happy, Buddha. You know, why are you so down? Well, he's saying, I'm not down, I'm seeing it the way it is. In fact, you are working so hard to make believe it's something else. It's you just, I mean, Walt Disney got rich making movies, making us believe it's something else, right? If you just watch Pixar films all day long, you'll think in the end it always has a happy ending. Toy Story, Woody always saves the day. Woody and Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond, which is, of course, impossible. It's a non sequitur. But they save the day. In the end, Woody is the, the sheriff who never quits, right? That sheriff always saves the day. So uh, he says, the Buddha saying, wish it were true. If you look at it the way it is, that's not the way it works. Sadly, that's not the way it works. He says, the, um, the, the grief and the sadness tend to increase. They tend to increase. They never stop. There's no time when that grief slows down and stops. Tan Greed, anger, delusion, fire. The fire of greed, anger, and delusion blaze on without rest. All right. Then this, I mean, this is very heavy stuff. Okay. Let me, before we, before we go any further, if people are listening to this in the way that I'm pitching it, right, saying, do you see how, you know, what a negative readout of conditioned things, meaning reality, we're getting on these pages. The Buddha is telling us not to count on things. I mean, anything, including our bodies. What is this? This is the teaching of wisdom. Is it the teaching of compassion? No. It leads to the teaching of compassion. But right now, and our sutra goes from one to the other, one to the other. Here the Buddha is saying, pull the covers back on reality. Take a good look. Here's what it's made of. Don't be confused. Don't sugarcoat it. See it the way it is. And then, later on in a passage, he'll say, and he does, notice I'm over on page 45 now, the the next big chunk is about sympathy. It shifts over to compassion there. The Buddha says, because... Nobody is willing to look right at the heart of stuff, so I feel sympathy for them, and I want to wake them up. I feel sympathy for living beings because they, they don't get it. And as a result, guess what? Ouch. Ouch. 
pain and pain and pain when we try so hard to make it sweet and it's so bitter inside. We put a coating of honey on the knife and we lick it and we cut our tongue. He's, ouch, says the Buddha. But that's, then it goes to compassion. What we're at right now, this is pure prajna, pure wisdom, going right through the surface of beauty to the heart. Okay, so understand that this goes back and forth. We're only getting, when we're looking at the wisdom part, that's the preparation for the Buddha to gather us in like the kind father and say, boy, it hurts bad, huh? Here's the way out. But if we never wake up to the wisdom part, if we just go on thinking, there's going to be a payoff, my ship's going to come in, finally it's going to be sweet, and I'm going to get the final flavor. If we're still searching hard, he says, okay, we have to talk some more wisdom. Let's take a better, closer look at it. And once we see it, see the emptiness at the heart of this, then he brings it around and says, ah, at the same time, if we can learn how everybody's in the same boat together, then we find the meaning and the joy in giving and bringing everybody else along to wisdom. That's, that's the joy. That's the compassion. So understand that we're at the, the cold, empty heart of wisdom right now, where there's no, no room to wiggle, no escape. No security. Okay, so there's different different sides of the, one of the, the palm of the hand and the back of the hand. All right, all dharmas, ai, zeng, so xi, tied up with love and hate, increase anxiety and sorrow. Wuyo tingji, it never stops anywhere. The fires, greed, rage, and delusion burn without cease. Zhong huan so chan, multitude of disasters are tied up with dharmas because why? We think it's going to last, and somebody sends us, the bank sends us a statement and says, sorry, the home that you bought with that loan from the bank was based upon bonds and investments that were corrupt at their heart, and the bank, you owe the bank now everything that you borrowed, plus interest, if you can't pay it, we own your house. Go. You're out. Right? bank takes your home. The roof over your head, the roof over your mother's head, the roof over your children's head. It's now, you can't provide security, man. The 99% that is occupying Wall Streets all over the world now is face-to-face with the truth of these statements, right? What is secure? When you buy... uh, uh, an inst- you buy a house with a, an inst- financial instrument that in it was bundled with bad loans and they default, the bank is not going to take a loss. You take a loss. They take your property. So, ouch, how painful is that? Right. By surprise, you lose. Oh, sorry, says the bank. You lose. How painful. So the Buddha is saying, right, take a look. Condition things things that are made up of other things, anything that comes together in the end comes apart. Can you stand it? Can you stand it? And yet, from the Buddha's point of view, this is what? Good medicine. Because seeing it the way it is, 
allows us to continue to see it the way it is. Because this level is not the ultimate level either. And look what happens in the last sentence of this passage. He says, These calamities increase by day and by night, yet all of these, in reality, are nothing but illusions. Okay, what about that last sentence? Take a look. He goes from, as I say, lifting the hood. You know, in your car, most of us, when we drive our car, we just turn the key, put our hands on the steering wheel, accelerator, brake, turn signals, lights. That's pretty much all we need, right? Most of us. Then something goes wrong. You pull over, you look for that hood release. I think it's over there. There it is, down lower than I thought. Lift that hood release. Get out of the car, go around, lift the hood. Oh my gosh, look at this engine. Look at this thing. It's all full of machines and pipes and tubes and covers and grease and instructions and dipsticks and wires. That's been in front of me every time I drove and I never knew it. Why? Because I never lifted the hood. Oh, the only reason the car moves when I turn the key is because of that engine that's going chook, 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 pump, crank, 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 pump, 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 crank. And we move, right? It's always been there. I never looked at it. Oh, look at that. What do you do? Boy, that's complicated, you know? That's what most of us do when we look at the engine, including me, you know? Nowadays, you can't fix your own engine, you have to hook it up to a computer. Back in the days of the Volkswagen, where I told you a couple, couple months ago, you could fix it. I fixed my 40-horsepower VW, you know, with a book called Volkswagen in- Fixing Volkswagen Engines for Dummies. And it really worked. It really worked. John Muir was the guy who wrote it. Wonderful book. So I did, man. I fixed my, adjusted my valves and uh, replaced the brakes and all. And didn't die in the process. It worked, you know. But most of us, we lift that hood and we go, holy mackerel, what is all that? That's called the engine. Oh, I never knew that that was what actually pushed us down the road. Let's close that. Go find somebody who can fix it. You know. So the Buddha is going, okay, look at the world. Lifting the hood on the world. Guess what? The world is made up of other pieces. The world is so complicated, made up of many, many conditions, just like an engine. The engine that drives the world is these multitude of yuan. It's called yowefa, dharmas that are compounded, made up of other stuff. That's what drives the world. And a lot of us go, blink, blink, blink. Okay, let's close that and go shopping. Let's close that and turn on the TV because it's time for the program. Pour yourself a cold one and sit down in front of the, the tube because it's hard to look at the nature of conditioned things and realize what, number one, no owner. Nobody owns those conditions. They are operating completely by, you could say, karma, which means activity. Things you do, things that we do, set those conditions in motion. No owner. There's nobody in there who's going to set them right, who's going to finally fix it so they, they please us. That's really scary. It takes an adult to see that. 
What do most religions of the world do? Give it to a supreme being. Will of God. God knows the answer. Leave it to God. It's too complicated for us to work with. Most, let's just say 90% of the religions and believers in the world prefer to leave it to God. Let him deal with it. Not her, him. Okay? The Buddha Dharma says, uh, excuse me, you, who's going to lift the hood on God? I will. God has his own headaches. Don't give it to him. He's busy. God's trying to work it out for himself. You take a good look at the nature of the world that you live in, and what do you discover? You're the director of that movie. You're also the actor in that movie. You're also the scriptwriter in that movie. You're also the editor of that movie. And you're the audience of that movie. That's a message that most people can't really hear, if the truth be told. It's too cold, too scary to realize that the world that I'm living in and my reaction to it is all my own doing. That I'm the director of that film that I'm living in. And I'm the star, and I'm the co-star. The people around me are more or less reflections of my habits. It's like, that's a strong, cold message. And yet the Buddha says, here you go. Here it is. And yet, here's, it's not just negative, right? Misogynist. It's not, it's not, I mean, it's not misanthropic. It's not the Buddha just venting because he's upset today. The Buddha got up on the wrong side of the bed. It's not that. What it is, the Buddha is saying, here is your chance to make it a world you want to live in. Because why? Ugly, painful worlds are made of conditions. Joyful, blissful, just worlds where there's justice, where there's righteousness, are also made of conditions. Plant the seeds, get the harvest. Make a world you want to live in. That's completely up to us. Nobody's in charge except the results of the behavior that we do. So that's why we say this is like a, quote, religion for adults. Most people can't hear this message. It's too scary. It's better to have somebody else at fault. Their fault. Right? They did it. Of course, they're, they're out there doing it right now. You know that? Yeah. Boy, somebody ought to really straighten them out. You know, Who's the they? They don't exist. It's us doing it. Lifetime after lifetime. What's real are those seeds that we plant because action produces repercussions. Every action, says the law of thermodynamics, has its own equal and opposite reaction. Physics confirms that. So, in other words, create the actions that when they come back, we want them. Plant fruit that when you harvest it, tastes sweet instead of bitter. That's the message here. So, yet all of these calamities, all these disasters, in reality, are... And now the Buddha drops the elevator way down to the basement. All of these, in reality, are what 
nothing but illusions. It's like, full stop. Suddenly, this whole passage about what? Impermanence. What are we hearing about? This is the wisdom of impermanence. Right? That's what these two passages, last week and this week, are about. Suddenly, the Buddha yanks the rug out from all of this conversation. He says, guess what? Everything that I've been telling you about conditions and such, equally unreal. What has he done here? Like, what do you mean? An illusion. What's an illusion? An illusion is like a magician. Okay? He goes, and he throws up pixie dust, and you see wonderful, sparkling images. It's gone. Fireworks, Hong Kong on Guanyin, Chinese New Year's, right? Boy, have you ever seen fireworks over Hong Kong Harbor? I was there one year at Chinese New Year's. These big companies, all these you know, multinational billion, billion, billion dollar companies, they compete to have the most glorious fireworks display. And they, they go with the city government and they, you know, so now it is uh, Hang Sung Industries, five minutes. So Hang Sung Industries brings out their biggest fireworks. And in the sky, you see, you know, the, the face of Mao Zedong in the sky. With the wart on his chin, you know, boom, there it is, and it goes, oh, and it's gone, you know. And then, then they go, and who is it? It's the latest Hong Kong movie star, Jackie Chan's face is in the sky, you know, oh, like that. And then it's over, and you go, boy, that was incredible. Okay, that was their five minutes. Now it's Kogyo Light Industries, their turn. And they have the whole, you know, Mount Everest showing and with the snow. And ah, it's like unbelievably incredible what they can do with fireworks in Hong Kong. Let me tell you, that is really something. It's computerized now. It's just fire, but it's computerized. Those images are very precise and wonderful. And then it's gone. And it goes on for an hour. Every company, corporation who can afford it to spend $6 million on fireworks this year, you know, has their computerized fireworks display. And it's over. And everybody's like, whoa, that was very cool. You know, but it's an illusion. You saw Mao Zedong's face and sparkling lights in the sky, the night sky, gone. You know, so not real, says the Buddha. How can he say that? Everything is made of compound dharmas, isn't it? Like this thing, you know, is this not? He's, yeah, yeah, equally unreal, like an illusion. How can he say that? He has shifted into the Buddha's ultimate wisdom to say that. And if you don't know that there are two levels of wisdom going on in the sutra, this will seem contradictory. How could he say that and then say this? The reason is that there are so a RD. There's ultimate wisdom and there's uh, what's the provisional, provisional temporary wisdom. The provisional wisdom is what we're using right this minute. Mostly, it's duality. You and me, right and wrong, night and day. Emptiness and existence, true and false, all of these dual dharmas are where we live, right? Truth is truth, false is false. 
Hot tea is not cold tea. Cold tea is not hot tea. That's the world of duality. Conscious, our conscious minds always live there. We're distinct. We're all the time telling, I love this, I hate this. That's my favorite. Oh, get away from me. You know, back and forth all the time. The Buddha, after the self has been cultivated away, the Buddha no longer is stuck in that duality. The Buddha is able to, from his wisdom, reflect all the opposites and not move, not pick from the duality. From his point of view, all conditioned things come into being, dwell, decay, and go void. They're ultimately not real. We don't have that kind of wisdom. Basically, my earliest memory is about age six. I don't remember much before age six. From the Buddhist point of view, he remembers lifetime after lifetime. He's not confused by the womb, right? So there's a difference. Here, where he says, in reality, he has shifted in his description to that ultimate wisdom level. He's saying, in fact, from the Buddhist point of view, all these conditions are just like fireworks in the sky over Hong Kong Harbor. Pop, 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 pop. To be replaced by what? Pop, 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 pop. Gone. Replaced again. Pop, pop, pop. Like that. There's not, don't count on them. Even the coming into being, dwelling, the coming together of conditions and the falling apart of conditions, they're, they're gone. I read the other day that just before John Lennon was shot, the Beatles were going to get back together. The Beatles were planning a reunion when John Lennon was shot. Okay? Conditions came together. The Beatles created some of the most memorable music in the world. They came apart. And here's John and Paul and George and Ringo doing their own things. John was shot. They were going to come back together. It didn't happen. So now we have Paul and Ringo left, right? George Harrison's dead. John Lennon's dead. The Rolling Stones, on the other hand, were able to keep it together year after year after year, right? The Stones never actually broke up. They, they just keep six, more 60-year-old rock and rollers out there, cranking it out, looking more and more like reptiles, you know? <laughs> I swear Mick Jagger, I mean, I should talk, but he, his skin looks like it's ready to be put in a museum. Keith Richards? Keith, he's already in a museum. Keith Richards is like, he looks like he's made out of some skin-like material. You know, so. so it's like things come together and things fall apart. So how could this be? The Buddha says, take a good look. Show me something in your life that lasts. What lasts? Well, greed, anger, delusions, fire seems to desire, arrogance seems very hard to extinguish. Try changing a bad habit. Really try. You'll discover, oh my Lord, those habits have a track record. Those habits are grooved like a riverbed. Tell the water to stop flowing in the river. Stop, please. You know, don't be so proud. There it goes. That's the way things are. They seem to be, our bad habits seem to be permanent. In fact, says the Buddha, 
Conditioned dharmas simply change. Just change. That's what Master Hua would always say. He would say, so from beginning this time, you've always been this jealous. Just change. Use the dharma. What do you think the dharma is for? The dharma is stronger than your bad habit. Just try applying the dharma. You'll change. If the dharma was not stronger than affliction, nobody would ever become a Buddha. Precisely because the dharma is stronger than affliction, so we have a hope, we have a chance that if we actually cultivate according to the dharma, things can change. That's the beauty of this. That's why the dharma is still around after two and a half millennia. Show me anything else that's been around for 2,500 years. Well, mountains, you know, but what else? Not glaciers. Glaciers are vanishing in our lifetime. Right? What could be stronger than a glacier and a mountain of ice? Boy, the country of Greenland, Greenland is experiencing, they're having, I was reading about it, Iceland, right? Iceland, land of ice. Iceland has ecotourism now. They say, come and see the ice before it's gone. They have these parties where you go out on the glaciers in Iceland and take pictures because they are receding as you watch. It's your last chance. Come and see the glaciers in Iceland. Whoops. You know, what about that? Probably in our lifetime, fish will be gone. Fish will stop being available as a commercial food item. The Japanese are in big trouble. Because the Japanese foodstuffs, they don't have much other than fish for ordinary folks. And they are, the Japanese, they say, are hauling in fish as if Nothing were different. I was reading this, there's an article the other day about the, the, it's like a death throw of the Japanese fishing industry. They behave as if nothing were changed. And, you know, if they were, wisdom would say, taper down, leave some, leave some fish, because there aren't going to be any so soon. And they're hauling them out just faster and faster. Just never mind, pay no attention. Just keep pulling the fish out of the ocean. They're vanishing, man. There's very, there are many breeds of fish right now that don't have enough to reproduce left. So this is the end of the fishing industry right before our eyes. So it's like, okay, so don't expect the marketplace to behave wisely. Why, why would the, the marketplace doesn't, make profit on wisdom they make profit on sales so it's like you know pay no attention full speed ahead takes real real wisdom to change course so hard but first of all you have to see really see what's ahead the Buddha says take a look the nature the conditioned nature of stuff is available to us any minute any minute, just take a look, right this second. You can see, take a shower, and then go watch the drain. Not that that's, I mean, that's kind of gross. But if you take a shower and put a little, you know, one of those wire drain stoppers there that lets the water through but catches the stuff, you'll see all this dry skin and hair and toenails, all kinds of stuff in that drain. That's your body. That 
wasn't there just yesterday. Now it's there. You know, you washed off your body. This thing changes, is so unstable. Our body is so unstable. You know, I was today, I was in the company of some friends from China and uh, they were, uh, we had a, a Muslim from Ningxia, which is this far province of China. We had a Mongolian from Neimongu, from Inner Mongolia, at lunch. I was sitting next to a Manchurian from Heilongjiang, Black Dragon River, and he was a special minority from Heilongjiang. And his, his accent was very int- different from our teachers, who was Manchu. And uh, then we had a complete pure Han person, Hanren, from Beijing, who spoke very clearly every word you could understand, Beijing Koyin. And then there, were, uh, there was somebody else from the south who was there, right? And then we had our, and, you know, Lucy was there. She's a Vietnamese Hua Chao. And, and all these different people around the table... And I was trying to, my Chinese was being strained to the very edge of what I could understand because all these accents around the table. And so here's the the Manchurian, you know, head of religion from Heilongjiang telling jokes, right? What is he telling? He's telling me Dongbei Kouyin Xiaohua, jokes based on the funny similarities of words from Manchurian dialect that people hear wrong in normal Chinese. And he's going... And I swore, I swore, I swore, everybody's going, ah, ha, 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 and I'm going, ha, 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 you know, did I laugh now? <laughs> it's like, is that the joke? I wasn't getting it. I don't get the joke. And I have to, I, I'm sitting here, everybody's ha, 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 and I'm, what? You know, <laughs> that's not right. So I'm forcing, it's like, what? oh, forget it. You know, it's like, why pretend? But I was sweating because I was straining so hard to keep up with the conversation because these are people... You don't want to hear it wrong because the, the course of the conversation is important around the table. You hear it wrong, you're going to say something stupid, you know. And, and if you're here to represent, you know, DRBA, you don't want to say something stupid on purpose. So I'm listening, listening, and I realize my whole robe is wet because I'm sweating at the table. <laughs> I'm sweating trying to hear what they're saying and trying to come up with the laughter at the right time. And oh, my God. It's hard work. It's hard work, you know. And and I just I just want to say, can we all take a break and speak English for a while? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh man. So man, conditioned dharmas. It's like you think it doesn't. Yeah. It's it's like, wowee. This is the nature of conditioned things. And yet, guess what? Stop talking. These are all living beings. They're gonna. They're trying to feed their bodies so they're not hungry, but in their mind, they wanted to go shopping more than anything else. They didn't want to eat this lunch. Because why? They have friends who are waiting for gifts back home, wives and secretaries. They have X amount of time. They got to get the right Ming Pai, you know, if they take it back. And they don't want to eat. They've already eaten before. They're full. They want to go shopping. And we're here eating our lunch. And they're looking and trying to be polite, you know. And it's just... These are living beings, you know, and they're all sitting around the table. And I'm thinking, this is such a strange world. Out of nothing comes all these conditions, all these funny conditions. He's telling a joke in Manchurian dialect. I'm wishing he was speaking English so I could get it, you know. 
I like to hear it. I can't understand the humors, you know. I can't tell you because I couldn't understand it. I, oh, man. So, oh, on and on. And these are living beings. We're all in the same boat, just trying to get along. In about two hours, they're going to be flying at 35,000 feet towards Texas, wondering, what was all that about, you know? What's our next stop? Our next stop is what? Christians in Dallas with a Bible convention. They've been talking to the blue-eyed American Buddhists, you know. What a strange world this is. And they're thinking about how do we get a good Chanel handbag for my wife when we only have half an hour, you know, between the airport and the, and the convention. Oh, man. So living beings are in this world. We're caught in this total complex of conditions. And how do we make sense of it? The Buddha says, well, number one, see it the way it is. Recognize the nature of things. Don't take them as real. Don't attach. Don't force them to be the way you want them. Because guess what? They don't, nobody owns them. Those conditions come together and they go away. If you can take a step back, what do you see? You see the pattern. If you see the pattern... You can turn the state and not be turned by it. What's the pattern? Pattern is come together, stay together for a while, start to decay, fall apart, come back together when you create those conditions. If, as these conditions go by, we can be what? Still, peaceful, calm, unattached, no preferences, let them come. Hey, look, that's amazing. Enjoy for When it's over, it's over. There's another set of conditions down the road coming your way. And meanwhile, help other people. If you can nudge it along, nudge it towards kindness. Do a little bit. Make it easier for other people. Make it better for other people. Then it's better for me too. Master Hua would always say, the best way to do is always take the short end of the stick. Give the benefits to other people. If you, what do you do? That takes strength to always kind of get the bad part, get, let them get the benefit of the bargain, and you be patient and take the, the bad part of the deal happily. Because why? It's all conditions. And the more we take the short end of the stick and let the good stuff go, in fact, invisibly, our blessings increase. Then when things really come along that are not so good, because we've been in the habit of going, it's fine, it's all conditions, we get through the hard times. Because we've been letting the good times settle themselves. That's wisdom. Master Hua would say, the Bodhisattva is willing to meaning let the good stuff go because why? Well, you can if you're strong if you're wise and strong it's okay I don't have to eat on the top of the pyramid every meal right? I like plain food it's delicious you know, beets and potatoes are delicious 
if you can step back and realize they too are made of conditions. Why does my tongue have to go boo 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 with flavor every time? No need. You know, potatoes and beets are great. Carrots are terrific. Taben, daikon, wonderful. Miso soup, brown rice. Delicious if you step back and you're not always out there looking for more conditions. When we go looking for conditions, we wind up never satisfied and burning our blessings at the same time. That, and then what happens? Bad times come, real stuff. Our karma turns, you know, the storms come as they do. And we can't take the joke. We hit the deck. We go down. Because we're used to grabbing for the way we like it, the way we like it, the way we like it. It's not the way you like it. But if instead we go, yeah, however it comes, that's okay. That's okay. I can give everybody else the good stuff and I'll get along with what's there. It's perfect. It's what I should get without panya, without climbing on the condition. Then when times get tough, we go, okay, make it through because I'm in the habit of seeing it as made of conditions, changing and going away based on conditions. So there is turning the state, benefiting wisdom. All right. So let's go down. Next chunk. What does it say? Jian ru shi yi yu yi che you wei pei zheng yan li qu fu zhi hui. Jian fu zhi hui bu ke si yi wu deng wu liang nan de wu za wu nao wu you zhi wu wei cheng. Having seen dharmas in this way, he increases his distaste for all conditioned things, and he approaches the wisdom of a Buddha. He sees how the Buddha's wisdom is inconceivable, incomparable, limitless, rare, free of pollution, troubles, and worries. He arrives at a place beyond fear and never again retreats. From then on, he's able to rescue living beings from limitless suffering and difficulty. Wow, the sun just rises, right? Suddenly, in the sutra, the Bodhisattva says, looking right at the heart of stuff, looking right at the heart of all things that come, come about because of other things, there is a bright light. In the middle of stuff that's unreliable, undependable, leading to disasters. There is a road under your feet, and that's the Dharma. What about the Dharma? This having seen Dharma's small d, things in the world, phenomena, in this way, he decides, she decides, she's not going to grab for all the gusto she can get, hoping to, as Master Hua would say, hoping to find something good to eat in the kitchen, finally. He approaches the wisdom of a Buddha. He says, right, the Buddha's wisdom is inconceivable. Lifting the hood on reality, I get it. I see how things are. Finally, I'm no longer confused by the cover, by the sugar coating. I'm not confused by that anymore. The Buddha's wisdom is inconceivable, incomparable, limitless, rare, free of pollution, troubles, and worries. The Buddha isn't selling us a bill of goods. The Buddha is not fooling us. Finally, he's not out to 
trick, cheat, get over on us. The Buddha it only wants us to see the nature of our minds and the world, which are the same. He arrives at a place beyond fear and never again retreats. Where does the fear come from? In many, many times, for me, the fear comes from fearing that when I get the stuff that's coming, I won't like it. Look at all the work involved in that. I'm afraid that when I finally meet Mr. Wright, when I finally meet my trophy wife, I won't like her. I don't want to get married because I know it's just going to go bad. Right? I don't want to buy a new car because so many of them are lemons. I don't want to go out uh, on BART because you can't sit on those seats. They're full of germs. You know? I don't want to go to the baseball game because my team always loses. Unless you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, in which case you won. You know, all we don't, we don't want stuff because we're afraid that when it happens, it's not going to be what I like. And so you're, we paralyze ourselves. We project ahead, think about what it might be like, react to that, and then modify our behavior based on the reaction to the projection. That's a lot of work, right? We're afraid we won't like it. Okay, pull all of that false thinking, we call it wangshang, back, and what, whatever comes is just right. Whatever comes is based on conditions that I've set in motion. If I can see it the way it is, I never have to move. I don't have to worry about what's coming because what comes is what I earned, what I planted. My harvest is what I'm supposed to have. If I just sit still, be kind, be clear about it, have a big open heart, it's just conditions. No different. The nature of it is just the same, no matter what comes. Sometimes it's a little more bitter, sometimes it's a little more sweet, but that changes. It all comes and goes. If we have that attitude... Number one, we save lots of energy. Number two, no need to be afraid. Number three, we're never disappointed. Not because we're like, oh, it's going to be a bummer. I'm ready for any kind of bummer. It doesn't matter. It's just all bummer. That's not it at all. It's like everything that comes is made of conditions. The nature of it is that it's, there's not one thing that is its own self. You all noticed, like, week after week after week, these incredible flowers? Which one was your favorite? Uh, I like, let's see, uh, they're kind of all the same, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Look at, there's one, two, three, four, five kinds of beautiful flowers in this little vase. And yet, last week's, remember the yellow chrysanthemums last week? We talked to them a couple times. Are they still around? Yes, there they are. Those are last week's chrysanthemums. They're really beautiful. And these orchids, week after week, like, aren't they beautiful? Yeah. Which was your favorite? Uh, that one. Which one? Uh, I forget. Right. It's beautiful flowers. What's the difference? They're all beautiful flowers. They're all, you could say, the Buddha's creation. They're all here because of the conditions of this flower and also some kind-hearted person who puts them there. Right? So... What's the point of attaching, well, do you like this baby's breath 
better than this mum, you know, or this Gerbera daisy, is that a better one than this, you know, this bud? No. Like, those flowers don't care if I like them or not. The flowers are just... There they are. Showing their best, you know. It's like beautiful. My, whether I like it or not has nothing to do with the nature of that flower. It's there by conditions. And the fact that we have flowers is fabulous. Those are so nice. So it's like, yeah. When you see it this way, you're never disappointed. Everything that comes is a gift. Everything that comes is a potential to be very delighted. Right? That's what it means to be unmoving. Not that you're a piece of wood. What flowers? I don't see any flowers. Flowers are garbage. They're conditioned armies. They're going to be wilted in no time. I hate flowers. That's not it. It's like flowers? Beautiful. I really like flowers. Meanwhile, flowers and me have nothing to do with each other except we coexist in this time-space continuum. You know, it's like, yeah, there's a flower there. You know, how nice. I like flowers. Meanwhile, shut your eyes and where do they go? They're totally, all dharmas are made of conditions, you know. So the Buddha is saying, when you can use the wisdom of this wisdom, and use the wisdom of this wisdom, seeing to the nature of things, suddenly we are free of the need to worry, to fear, to love, to hate, all this extra stuff that people do because we don't recognize the true face of things around us. How do we apply this? Bodies. Oh my goodness. Looking in the mirror. I don't look the way I want to look. Oh, what do I do? Well, go get a makeover. (laughs) Go get a perm. Go buy a new wardrobe. Change the hair color. All the stuff. Drugstores, Rite Aids are full of the conditions of people who look in the mirror and want to change the appearance, right? Let's change it. Let's do a makeup. Ah, get my hair cut. Try short. Short's in this season, you know. I think I'll grow my hair out. Everybody's wearing longer hair now, you know. Endless. And that's what we do, of course. We want to look nice. Okay, but if we're confused about it, we get really upset when it doesn't look the way we... Oh, no, I got a huge zit on my face and I'm supposed to go on a date tonight. What do I do? Clear a sill. Cover it up, you know. It's endless. It's really endless. And so the Buddha is not saying, don't look in a mirror. Ugly is good. No, he's not saying that. The Buddha is saying, see the nature of it clearly and don't be disappointed when conditions come and go. Everything is born of conditions. If you see it, you use it skillfully. Don't be so upset when it doesn't go the way I like it. Say, no, this is completely born of conditions. If you have lots of zits, drink less milk. Dairy ruins complexions. Boy, if, if we knew that, Clarissa would go out of business. You know, so much of bad health is based on drinking too much milk and eating too much cheese and butter. 
Boy, dairy is the worst thing for skin. For sure, it's not the only cause of bad complexion, but it is, most of us, most of the world is what? Lactose intolerant. You thought it was only Asians and black folks who were like, no. Turns out that largely white people, Northern Europeans, have an aberrant DNA gene combination that allows us to digest cow's milk. Most, like 80% of the people in the world, are lactose intolerant. It's true. We drink it and our bodies do all this funny stuff. Allergies, a huge number of allergies come from forcing our bodies to try to digest milk. Take the milk away, allergies go away. Astounding, especially with the stuff they put in. We are around the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. We are currently very down on cow's milk. Did you notice? Did you, know? you paid it. Right. Why? Um, there's a, a new documentary out by a very courageous young woman, which is called Got the Facts on Milk. She released it into the, you know, the movie-buying public, and it sank very fast. Because why? Very unpopular. Oh, the dairy industry wants us to pay no attention to that movie because it's very damaging. She goes into, she and her team of filmmakers, this young woman in L.A., goes into the, the milk producers and shows what's really going on. And when you see this video, you don't want to drink milk anymore. It's, I won't do it tonight to you, because if you, if you like milk and dairy, if you're drinking it, got milk, right? A body does a body good. You know, three glasses. If, you're, if you still believe that, this, this movie will definitely challenge your assumptions. You discover that those ad campaigns which put that chart in the classroom, you know, the food pyramid, you need so much dairy, that is totally, totally an advertisement paid for by the American Dairy Association. Flip the chart over. Where did it come from? The USDA and the milk producers are the same people. Not different. It's astounding. She goes right to Washington, D.C., to the USDA to get the facts on. They do, they, they're afraid of this woman because she's there, you know. It's so ugly. If you decide, if you decide that you are going to grow organic food, organic crops, the USDA forces you to pay a surcharge on the crops you grow so they can be inspected three and four times. What do they do to the dairy producers who grow nitrate, pesticide, fertilizer crops? They pay them a surplus. They subsidize them to grow. So, now, here, here's, here's a fact that she brings out. This is really, really irritating. All right. She's, she shows that the companies that add Monsanto, Roundup-ready, genetically modified organisms... You know about this? GMOs? You've seen this float by, right? Genetically modified crops. You, occasionally the press will publish a little bit about it. Not much. All right. 
Monsanto, which is big agribusiness, right? It's the, the merging of farmers growing food in the ground to feed hungry people and profit-making factories, big business, agribusiness, agriculture and business joined together. Monsanto is this huge, huge conglomerate. They sell the seed for soybeans, corn, wheat, most of, mostly. Okay, that's the backbone of American agriculture. All right. Monsanto also makes what? They sell you the seed. They also make the pesticides and herbicides, poisons to kill what? Bugs and weeds. You're a farmer. You don't want weeds. You don't want bugs. So what do you do? Well, if you're an organic farmer, you don't use pesticides. You don't spray poison on your crops to kill stuff you don't want. Well, if you're an agribusiness farmer, you do. You spray poison. You create what's called a monoculture. You only want your crop growing in the ground. You don't want those weeds. Well, it's kind of hard. It's hard work to reach down and pull the weeds. Let's do it with a spray. Let's spray poison that kills the weeds. Good idea. So Monsanto creates Roundup. You all know about Roundup? Roundup is a herbicide. Kills weeds. It's got this active ingredient, tridocalephosphorine or something like that, that is death on weeds. You spray it, every living thing dies. Right? Spray it on your lawn. Be careful. Do it according to instructions because it will kill all kinds of stuff. So that's good. Spray the Roundup. The problem is, if you eat the plants that have the Roundup on them, well, you better wash them pretty carefully because what about Roundup in your body? Will you absorb that poison? Okay, so what does Monsanto do? Monsanto takes soybeans and corn, goes down to what is called the germ line. They hire very smart men and women from University of Minnesota, from Davis, UC Davis, from places where agriculture studies are big. They go into the genes, the genome. They've sequenced all the tiny, tiny components. They take Roundup and splice it right into the seed. Believe it or not, So they create this brand new seed that has Roundup resistance. Roundup won't kill it. They put Roundup, their poison, into the new seed. They call it Roundup ready seeds, Roundup resistant. So what does this do? Plant that seed, up it comes, spray Roundup like a mother. This corn will survive. This soybean will survive. Everything else dies. So they can use their roundup like mad, and this seed will survive. Okay, well, congratulations. You've now created the seed and the pesticide. You can sell this everywhere, and farmers will be happy because they don't have to pick their weeds anymore. You just spray it, and your corn and soybean will survive. The only problem is what? What about when you eat that corn? What about when you eat that soybean? Well, we've tested it and we haven't found any uh, bad results. 
How long did you test it? Nine months. And so far, so good. No negative results. Well, what were you looking for? Well, we were looking for anybody dying. Nobody died. Good. Let's sell it. Every single country in the world, except the United States, said, no way. We are not buying your Frankenseeds, Frankenstein seeds. You haven't tested it. We aren't going to feed this to our people. What if 10, 10 years later, when the body finally, you know, absorbs enough of this stuff, people die? What if suddenly, worse yet, what if, you know what happens when you have lots of nice seeds? Well, diseases come. Like, you know, viruses come. And this strain of soybeans dies. Well, nature, over thousands of billions of years, develops another kind of soybean that isn't afraid of that. Okay, well, well, this dies off. We'll just plant these. It's fine. We have another variety, many varieties. If you, as Monsanto did, force everyone to buy your one variety of genetically modified seed, and then the virus comes and takes away, kills that one, guess what? No more soybeans. Monsanto, at the same time they're marketing their frankenseeds, are buying up every other variety and making it illegal to plant any other variety than theirs. Because why? They control the law. Now you have agriculture and business and legislature. In states, it is illegal to buy any other seed but months. Other countries in the world said, no way. The European Union banned introduction of these crops because once they plant it, Monsanto says, oh, it's safe, it's safe, we just control it, we contain it. When the wind blows, that just goes right over the fence and it starts to grow and everything becomes genetically modified. There is no pure alternative once it starts and that's the way nature does it. Okay, now this video says, huh, so what about? You look for genetically modified seeds, soybeans. Where does, you know, soy starch go into everything? Soy starch goes into every product in your kitchen. Corn, corn syrup, hydrogenated corn syrup. It goes into everything. These genetically modified things are everywhere. Okay, Monsanto cannot sell their products. Let's say Nestle's Quick. A little bit of chocolate powder in your milk, right? You like a little bit of cocoa? Nestle's is a big supporter of Monsanto. So, okay, so Nestle's wants to sell Nestle's Quick overseas. Guess what they do? They take the Monsanto soybeans and corn out and sell it overseas because overseas they won't buy it. The, the, this documentary discovered that the same products sold in other countries around the world are free of genetically modified stuff because they legalized it. Only in this country are they willing to poison their own people who are eating all this food without knowing what's going to happen. It's cheaper in this country to sell it without taking this stuff out. So she says, oh, you eat a lot of dairy products? You are eating genetically modified food that goes right into the cow 
and you don't even know it. And it's legal. Because why the government in this country, they cannot. It's illegal to put on the label which seeds are genetically modified and which are not. They, the agribusiness and Monsanto and the other corporations got the government to pass a bill that says no need to tell you what's in it. Every other country in the world says we will not buy your products unless you tell us what's in the seed. It's like, wait a minute. You mean the government and agribusiness are willing to feed us stuff that has never been tested legally, right? Yes, correct. Sell it overseas, they have to tell you. And they can't sell it if it's got genetic. You go, wait, wait, wait. Who's in... Why is Monsanto legally poisoning, feeding us and our children stuff that has never, ever been tested past nine months? You go, something's wrong here. So, okay, anyway, how do we get on this topic? Again, remind me. Okay. So it's like, okay, by golly. Here we are looking at compound conditioned dharmas and saying, hmm... Dairy. You know where we trace this back? We traced it back to milk in the diet, right? And milk in the diet was, I'm not happy with my face when I look in the mirror, right? Okay, a little bit of zits here. Maybe the zits on your face is genetically modified Monsanto seeds that you didn't realize (laughs) was coming to you through the milk that you were drinking. Oh, man. This is a world of conditions, and some of them are really ugly. So, what did we do? Ajahn Guna, by the way, they're safely up at Snow Mountain. I got a phone call just before the lecture. They made it up there. Ajahn Guna and Qin Wei Shi and four other laymen went up to Master Hung Lai's Snow Mountain Monastery to take a look. Beautiful, surrounded by the, uh, the Trinity Alps and surrounded by the mountains. and Skycomish, Index, Washington. So we're, one of these years we might go to, to Snow Mountain for our Buddhist Ruta Root Farm retreat. Anyway, so they're happily there. These guys took that movie and showed it on a Sunday night two weeks ago. Anybody watch it? Anybody there for that one? Yeah, yeah. It, am I exaggerating? It's like, no, I'm, not, I'm giving you one fingernail's worth of what's in this movie. It's called Got the Facts on Milk? Got Milk? Got T-F-O, the facts on milk. Got milk. And you read it, you watch it, you go, that's not right. There's something wrong here. American agriculture has gone the way of legalized greed. And if you want to say, I don't want to have anything to do with this poisonous seed and what you've done to the health of generations of Americans, they will force you to pay to not use it. If you want to grow uh, you know, uh, organic food, genuinely organic, you have to pay like mad. They won't subsidize you one bit. How strange. How upside down. Dian dao. Dian dao. And yet, that's the American way of doing business. Genetically modified stuff is not a joke. Mendocino County, the only county in California that said... We will not allow 
genetically modified seeds to be grown in this county. Ron Epstein was big in that movement. What happened? Monsanto brought in millions of dollars of advertising to get the good citizens of Mendocino County to say, that's illegal, you have to let us use genetically modified stuff. They are the good guys won. Monsanto was defeated. Their lies, their public, their you know, advertising, trying to get, they got this candidate to say, oh, we think it's really good to have uh, lots of free trade. We, you know, no, Monsanto was trying to buy votes to get their, so the citizens of Mendocino County said, we don't like your stuff. We want to be, don't buy good seeds and replace it with your poison seeds. And they won. Citizens of Mendocino County woke up to that. So it's, that's one small victory. All over the world, people said, who are these people in Mendocino County who beat Monsanto, these giant agribusiness? It's just us, some good Buddhists, who woke up and said, no way. We're gambling with our children. If you drink milk, you're drinking Roundup. Round up all those cells in your stomach and give them a dose of cancer. You know, who knows? Plus what you do to the seeds. Maybe they're gone. Anyway, am I preaching? Yes, I'm preaching. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be preaching at you. But this to me seems like one place where we don't have to say, oh, well, maybe they know better than we Maybe science is on the right track after, you know. It's just called greed. Leading to hatred, leading to stupidity. And if we stop it, say, enough already. Don't mess with it, because I kind of like soybeans. And if, you, if a virus comes in and wipes out your breed, soybeans, soybeans are history. What are you going to eat? Uh, what do you got? <laughs> Not meat. So. Anyway, so that's where tonight's lecture went. It's Halloween, after all. You have to, you know, so. Don't look for ghosts and spirits. Look at Monsanto, their board of directors. They're the, much scarier than any ghost I've seen. What is the karma? I think the karma of people who poison others for profit is, what do you think? Maybe in the future, the food you buy, the food you eat poisons you? Or you can't find food to eat? What would be the karma of somebody who poisons someone else purely out of, you know, and you put names on it, they call it progress. That's, it's mixed. Surely it's mixed. Mixed up karma. You buy something, but it turns out to poison you. That's, I don't know. The world is so complicated now, right? But if you watch and you bring it back to these principles, it's not so complicated. You can actually catch it. Most people, if you say, what do you think about GMO stuff? They go, uh, it, it's not good, right? Uh, you know, it's so hard to, to, get, to get it straight. If you have the Buddha's principles saying, here's the nature of compound things, it's good to take a loss, says the Buddha. But the fact that we're living in the United States and subject to eat that kind of food in the first place, does that mean that we probably just need that to the people? Not for sure. You have choices. You have choices. Okay, the question was, Living in America, realizing that this stuff is out there, unlabeled, and you don't know where it is, does that mean that we've done something bad? Well, I think uh, 
the fact that we're alive at a time when poison is flowing through the, the stores, through the shelves of Safeway, guess what? Living right here, Tuesday, there's a farmer's market right there. Saturday, there's a farmer's market right there. Five-minute walk. Chances are, if you walk over to your local farmer's market and look around and talk to folks, the people who grow stuff, they are so happy that someone cares. Say, what, what do you put on your crops? Where does your seed come from? They go, we buy seed from the last surviving seed bank that had no Roundup, no Monsanto, no agribusiness. You know, so you really can. The problem is it takes more work. You have to actually extend yourself. But if you do, what you discover is your neighbors, there are people everywhere who are worried about this, who are only hoping that people will wake up and join hands. So choose, choose wisely, grasshopper, right? Make your choices from the, and find the people, find the community of people who are awake to this. As long as we're isolated and we're just kind of sitting here and, gee, I can't tell by reading a label, we're done. You know, then in that case, it's like being in America is a punishment. I don't think so. I think we're full of blessings in this country. And there are people who are saying, I am not going to put up with this. It's not the case that corporations have the same status as individuals. Supreme Court tells us that, but who's on the Supreme Court? In fact, corporations are made up of people who should know better. If we don't buy their products, they won't sell them. If we totally abandon General Mills and go instead to canning, what I, the beginning of my lecture was about canning, right? Putting up food. If we do that, it takes more work, but you can eat it and say, what a blessing. I'm so glad I live in this country where there, we don't have malaria. We don't have cholera. We don't have the Lord's Resistance Army stealing our kids and turning them into 10-year-old soldiers. We don't have pervasive rape on the streets day after day. There are countries where that's happening. We don't have to fear, like in South Africa, if your car breaks down on the freeway in South Africa, you are in big, big trouble. Right? In this country, if your car breaks down, you have a choice. AAA, Highway Patrol... Chances are you'll be all right. So there's, America is a country of blessings. Still, still, given everything. But people have to find each other. We have to really recognize who, where, why do we need security? What is homeland security? Often it's the authorities that we need to be protected against, protected from, right? When it's legal poison. Big business. So I, I don't think this is punishment. I think it's still being born and being able to live in this country is a huge blessing. But this country is just people. People have to do, make wise choices. Find community with people who agree, who see clearly. It's called waking up. Meanwhile, we're in the evil world of the five turbidities in the midst of the Dharma ending age. You know, so... Omi tofu. Meanwhile, recite the Buddha's name. The Pure Land has no genetically modified organisms. The Pure Land, soybeans are soybeans. Corn is corn. Recite the Buddha's name. The Pure Land is a really good alternative. All right, we've gone way past time. Let us transfer the merit.
Thailand. We keep talking about Thailand week after week. Bangkok is, they say what? The highest water hasn't even arrived. The big floods haven't made it yet. Thailand has this young prime minister. Have you seen her? Ying Lok Shinawatara. She's this young woman who's doing her best to be a good prime minister. But she's like, she doesn't have the gravitas of these old time politics. You know, she's just saying, uh, I think it's going to work out. Don't, don't panic, everybody. You know, <laughs> you're going, uh, you're going to lead our country through this crisis? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, we're behind you, you know. When you see her on the news, she's this young bureaucrat, you know. She looks like she should be getting her doctorate at Harvard or something. She shouldn't be leading Thailand through. She takes office in July, and the worst catastrophe in a century lands on her head immediately. You're lucky you don't have her job. Thailand's in big trouble. So being a Buddhist country, you see the pictures of the Buddhas wrapped in plastic? These big Buddha images, golden Buddha with plastic and a big bow tied around them. Keep the floodwaters off. Man, oh man. Okay, if we transfer merit, it will not be lost. Because our hearts 